0: Hey, what's up guys? Coach Clint with Baseball Notes and pumped to have you on the podcast today and today's guest is a great one. We have Zach Dacant of TCU Baseball and Zach is in charge of all of their strength and conditioning. Uh, Also works with the quarterbacks for TCU's football team and uh, very well known, very well respected and Zach not only works with TCU but he also works with a lot of younger players and I know for a lot of us coaches, again, my son's playing 11U baseball, just got started with that. Uh, we wonder what we should be doing, right? Because society as a whole is not as uh, physically demanding as it used to be, right? For adults or for kids. And so kids aren't as strong as they are capable of. And at the same time, our techniques for you know throwing harder, for swinging harder are actually getting better. And so we have these kids who are... Uh, enduring more forces, right? Like with throwing harder and all that type of thing, and their bodies are weaker. And so we're seeing a lot of uh, problems with injuries and that type of thing. And so I think the answer here is doing a better job with strength and mobility. And in this podcast, Zach's going to share his top five uh, core movements that players need to grasp before they even get into you know the 14, 15 year olds where they're starting to lift weights. Uh, but once we get kids moving better, they're going to be playing better and be more prepared to you know, uh, have success once they really start getting after it 15, 16 and really building up on that strength. So, so Zach also has a book he references in here. He felt bad about sharing it, but I know if you're like me, uh, if you didn't know about this information, that's one thing, but once you do know that it's out there, uh, it's kind of hard to turn a blind eye to that, right? Not want to know what he's talking about. So be sure to check out his book movement over maxes. It's really good. And without further ado, here is our
1: interview with TCU, Zach Dakin. Hey, what's up, Zach? How you doing today, sir? Yeah, Clint, doing good. Uh, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm no, no, excited to have you. Excited to uh, have you on. Heard a lot about you. Um, out there a lot, putting a lot of good content out there, so I'm excited to, to pick your brain on a few things here. Anyway, before we get started, um, let's let the audience hear a little bit about you. How did you get, you know, from, uh, to, you know, the strength coordinator for TCU baseball and involved in football? But uh,
1: give us a little bit of a backstory on how you got here. Yeah, so uh, I actually fell in love with strength and conditioning because I went to a small-town high school, eight man, played eight-man football. We didn't have a weight room, and I knew if I wanted to play further um, after high school, I was going to have to develop as an athlete, to be honest. And so I started buying my own weight sets as a, as a uh, freshman in high school with uh, the money that I made on the farm, if you want the truth. And it, it kind of grew from there. Um, played football at Missouri State. Uh, GA'd there as a strength coach at Missouri State, and then I went to the uh, Los Angeles uh, Angels of Anaheim at the time for two years, spent, spent time there as a strength coach. And TCU was a perfect fit at the time because we have a combined staff, which in strength and conditioning means football and Olympic sports are all under one roof. Um, so it was a perfect, perfect setup. I played football, I'd spent time in professional baseball organizations, so it was just a perfect storm, to be honest. So have been here 13 years now at TCU.
0: Nice. Very cool. How'd you make that jump to the bridge? It seems like a uh, football strength coach to the uh, angels. That has to be an interesting little transition. How'd you make that?
1: Yeah. So I had, I had actually worked with baseball and you know, internships in my, in my GA position there at Missouri state. So funny story. I was actually an intern when Tim Linscomb was a freshman at the university of Washington, Tim Linscomb came in 120, you know, 28 pound, skinny, skinny freshman, throwing, you know, mid to upper 90s. And we all know what happened with Tim. So, um, but I had worked with baseball at both places. So i had been around it as a strength coach. I had a lot of experience. Um, so that kind of gave me a leg up with the uh, with the Angels. And, you know, as fate would have it, just a lucky shot in the dark, really, that that I got the job probably. But it um, it, it worked out for the best.
0: Oh, that's crazy. Dude, we were on the same field then, I think, at one point. Uh, here at the Washington then, because I was at Loyola Marymount. And we flew up there to play against, uh, you know, weekend series against the Huskies. And their Friday night guy, he looked like me. He looked like he was like 14, you know what I mean? And we're (laughs) just like, okay, we're, you know, we'll just see what this guy's got. Got no scouting report on him. And he proceeds to, I think, 18 Ks or something like that. I mean, just, he was like national player of the week. And we're like, who is the, we could not even pronounce his name. Lincoln, what is this? And forever (laughs) from that on, like his power curve ball, his fastball. Um, anyway, that was uh, that was funny because I, I don't know if you're at that series, but uh, we sound like we were we crossed paths there.
1: Uh, yeah, briefly it's, there. It's small world, right? It's Yeah, a small world.
0: Yeah, yeah, that guy was amazing. But um, all right, well, cool. Well, let's kind of dig into it, man, because um, you know personally right now I'm coaching. Uh, we just finished up our 10U season with my own son, and mm-hmm. uh, we're going into 11U. And it's kind of funny to watch these boys uh, grow. They're, they're all growing in different ways, right? And so there's a couple of kids, you're like, man, like, he looks like he's not very flexible or something. You know what I mean? Like, you, they hold their hands above their head, like we'll do an overhead squat, just like yeah. with no weight, like holding a bat. And it's like their their back is just all rounded. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, now they fold like forward a, like a suitcase. Exactly, exactly like that. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? we may need to you know it seems crazy to be doing too much you know strength and exercise at young ages but at the same time like it kind of seems like now might be a good time to you know start making sure we're in a good position you know 13 14 once you're ready to kind of hit it heavy and that's why your new book uh, movement over maxes that that you know uh title really struck a chord with me and so anyway i just kind of want to get your take is you know uh you know, tell me about your book i guess to start like movement yeah, over max explain sure.
1: that explain that type. yeah so movement over max is, is essentially it's a program to develop movement in young athletes whether it's um, you know whether it's 9 10 11 year olds like you're talking about or all the way up to my college incoming you know freshman and junior college transfers that's what it was actually designed for but i've used it all the way down to 8 and 9 year olds because honestly we're just teaching kids how to Move correctly, it's built around five big patterns, which is a squat, a hip hinge, and upper body push pull. So, your push up, a reverse pull up, and then stability around the trunk around the spine. Um, let's every say athlete that, say that, that one
0: more time. So, that sound like a major
1: uh, point. What were the five big, big so the big five big patterns? patterns are a squat pattern, a hip hinge, um, an upper body push and a pull. So, just a standard push up in a horizontal plane, right. Uh, or reverse pull up on the backside, which is a, a foundation pattern for us for scapular health. Yep. Um, and then the last one is our isocore series, which is based around stability of the spine, spinal stability. And so every athlete, regardless of whether you're an MLB all star, which I have those guys to the nine year old, the nine year old kid, they need these movement patterns. Those are fundamental movement patterns. When you when you swing a baseball bat, when you learn how to throw off a mound you need to understand how to hip hinge, right? We have to be able to use the pelvis, to use the glute, and that hip hinge becomes a primary pattern in just fundamental human movement. So what it was, was I took our program uh, that I used with our incoming freshmen. You cannot train an athlete to advance in uh, development if they don't have these fundamental movement patterns. If your kid doesn't know how to squat, I can't load him up with heavier squats. I can't take him into you know um, advanced advanced methods of squatting with, with, you know, slow eccentrics or maybe ISO holds or any, th- any of that stuff if they don't know how to squat. The same thing happens in baseball. If a, if a kid doesn't know how to control his body and and, and swing a back correctly, well, he has no chance to hit a curveball, right? We have to start with the foundation, build the foundation, and then we can advance athleticism as we go. Um, a house built upon sand, it, it won't stand, right? We can't build a foundation on sand so we have to have a strong stable foundation doesn't matter whether you're nine or whether you're you know 35 to be honest so the younger these athletes learn how to move control their body and we're not talking about lifting we're not talking about putting them under tons of weight or anything like that it's teaching them regressions to basic fundamental movement patterns the faster your athletes know how to move the better off the better off they it will be long term so that's really what it's based on and we go into speed development um, some running mechanics jumping and landing mechanics because that's a very underutilized method for training baseball athletes especially as they get into high school and college athletes baseball kids don't know how to jump they don't know how to land so we focus on that how to how to uh, withstand force how to apply force um, we even we go into shoulder health and all that stuff you know everything that's specific to baseball as well but we, I've sold this book to, to um, sports across the board. It's not just a baseball-specific book. It's an athletic book. That's what it is.
0: Right. No, it sounds fantastic. I'm like, there's like 85 things I want to dig into right here. And uh, so I got I to gotta pick wisely because I want to be respectful of uh, the, the listener's time here. But um, let's talk a little bit more on like the hip hinge because that's one yeah. I think when we talk about squat, you know, an upper push-up or you know, kind of a pull. You know that. You know, I think everybody's kind of like, okay. I think I'm on board with what that means. But hip sure. hinge. Um, like, can you yeah. give me an example of like a bad one or like sure. what, what are we trying
1: yeah. to do here? Yeah, we'll just take you through. Uh, we'll just take you through the whole the, the whole gamut. So, yeah. what a hip hinge is really what it is is if you've ever watched a guy do a, a an RDL, what we would call an RDL, a stiff legged deadlift, sometimes, essentially. We're teaching athletes to load into a posterior shift through their hips, right? So when you, watch, when you watch an MLB guy swing, they have a posterior shift through their hips, right? It's very hip dominant. It's not knee dominant. So knee dominant would be like uh, squatting straight down. When you go to sit on the toilet or sit in a chair in a classroom or anything else, what do you do? You have to posterior shift your hips, right? You shift your butt backwards and you st- back onto a toilet onto a chair anything like that that's that's a posterior that's a posterior hip shift right that's a hip hinge it's learning to move through your hips and not your spine so many athletes become locked up in their hips that their spine instantly wants to flex over and do the moving for them and that's not the way the human body works that's actually a compensation pattern and so when we're compensating your body's going to find a way to do it it's just like throw any kid on a baseball field tell him to throw a ball they'll throw a ball just because they're throwing a ball or swinging a bat or we doing any number of movements doesn't mean they're doing it the right way. So we have to teach athletes how to be able to separate their spine and their hips and use their hips to move. Right. Um, when you were a kid, your parents or, you know, anybody, when you lift something, what do they always say? They say, lift with your legs, not your back. And really that cue in essence is, is really, I mean, it's, it's accurate. You want to lift with your hips, move your hips, that does the motion, not your back. It's not a rounded over question mark back. Your back is locked in for stability. Hence our ISO core series that we talked about a a little bit ago in the big five patterns. And your hips utilize, utilize your hips for motion. So we see a lot of kids that don't know how to do that. They don't know how to separate their spine and hips. You get compensation patterns. And if that continues as they grow up and can apply more force with more body weight in, you know, and play more guess what that's going to result in it's going to result in back injuries which is the biggest epidemic that we see in with baseball injuries it's not necessarily the ucl it's actually pars fractures of the spine so super super it's honestly the most important athletic movement your kids can learn
0: oh no kidding well what's a good um so so let's say we've got a parent who, you know, they don't have access to a rate r- weight room for their young player. I mean, is there something that they can do at home? Like what's some good, like yeah.
1: materials to help with that? So no, you're that, that's perfect. You don't have to have a weight room for these exercises. These young athletes, you know, they're nine, 10, 11, 12. You don't have to have a weight room for any of these. We have in movement over maxes and I'm not trying to sell you guys this in movement over maxes. We have regressions, for everything, every one of those big five patterns, there's a regression for your athletes that don't know how to do that with just a simple barbell. If they can't do it with body weight, we show you how to regress the movement so that they can achieve it without having to have equipment essentially right we've got um, we've got ways to take your athletes into the patterns that they don't know they're they're completing right. So uh, I'm trying to give you an example. One of them's just a, a simple um a simple uh, rack squat. So having your athlete hold to a rack, a post, a pergola post, doesn't matter where. And they can walk their body down into a good squat position while using the assistance of holding on to a post. And we show you the regressions to teach that with your young athletes. Because I'm not loading up a 9- or a 10-year-old with a barbell and saying, All right, this is how we squat. This is how we, we hip hinge. We can't do that. We use PVC pipes. We use, um, we use posts. We use foam rollers for feedback. There's a thousand things that we can do to get an athlete moving correctly without ever using, ever touching a weight. So um, I don't know if I got into your question or not. I think I answered that, but I, I get rambling. So if I have something, you uh, you let me know.
0: Yeah, no, dude, it's fantastic. Yeah. So I think just, you know, working on those proper movements, I like the way you thought of just, that's a good visual with the post. You know what I mean? Being able to walk that down and kind of keep your posture right. and that kind of like a
1: key? Yeah, point? exactly. Exactly. So on the hip hinge, you know, you you're, getting my mind uh turning here so on the hip hinge one of the examples we use is we set an athlete up away from a wall about a you know six to six to twelve inches and we say all right now reach your butt back and touch the wall keep your back flat you know chest stays out butt stays out. take your butt back and touch the wall if they have trouble with that we might throw a pvc pipe on them and they'll just hold the pvc pipe and say all right imagine that pvc pipe is locked to your spine don't let your spine come off the pipe now go back and touch your butt it's something I actually used very recently, immediately. Um, kid knew how to hip hinge. We're talking about a kid that was 10 years old, immediately picking up the idea of the hip hinge. Once he can do that, now we can start applying the head into, into sport, and that transfers over into everything. So there's other things, you know, we talk about in Movement Over Max is the athletic position. I go into um, teaching progressions for just teaching basic athletic positions, because a lot of kids like I said, don't know how to hip hinge, they round over at their back when they're just being in an athletic position on a baseball field, right? We want to teach these kids to move through their hips and not their spine. So we go into teaching present, uh, progressions for the athletic positions. Those take no equipment whatsoever. Our snapdown series goes into the same exact thing. It's, it's just applying more force and speed to the athletic positions to teach kids how to jump and land.
0: Yeah, perfect. That was a perfect segue because that was going to be my, my next note cuz one thing that I have not encountered is anyone talking about jumping and landing mechanics. So, what are we doing wrong? What do we we know how to jump? What's going on?
1: Well, I mean, truthfully, baseball it just it's not a it's not a sport that kids jump in, right? Yeah. Uh obviously different for kids that play basketball, they're going to know how to jump, they're going to know how to land for the most part. But it's a very powerful training stimulus for when you get older especially learning learning jump training uh, because of the forces that you apply and have to withstand but I can't do that if my kids don't know how to jump so that's what started me having to train my my TCU guys um, with snap downs and you know jump progressions teaching them how to land I can't do that stuff if they don't know how to land kids get hurt but the same thing goes for young kids right they need to learn those positions they need to learn how to land how to stop how to decelerate effectively in strong athletic positions and really that That's all it is. It's just fundamental athletic movements.
0: Well, how, is it something that you can, is it, I know these things are always so easy, uh, more visual, you know what I mean? But is it something you can describe? Like how do you land? Yeah.
1: So, so how we start our very first progression is all we're doing is have an athlete stand up tall. So up on your toes, hands are raised up over your head and all we're going to do is we're going to accelerate you down. All you're going to do is accelerate your body, pull your arms down and we're going to stop in an athletic position. All right and then we hold that for one maybe two counts all right we'll release you we'll start you back up top same thing and we pull down into an athletic position so we've applied speed and a little bit of force that they have to withstand on that snap down but we've started with an athletic position we've taught them the athletic position to progress into that so now they know what an athletic position looks like what it feels like now we'll start you up tall we'll pull you down into that into that athletic position with speed and with force to start teaching that, and then we can progress you with um, a a light jump, so now you're going to pull down into it and hold it, now we're going to jump, you know, six inches off the ground, and you're going to come back down and land in that same position, and then we start to apply, once you get it, just like any other motor skill, once you get the skill, we start progressing that complexity so that you have to do it in other positions, right, we might start with multiple jumps, we might, might do a lateral jump, with a stick and hold we might do single leg split stance these are all variations of of progressing that you know very simple snap down in complexity so that you have to learn it in multiple positions
0: and so like as far as a problem like are people landing like on one foot or two sti- stiff legged or like what's the common problem you see when people
1: well land? the biggest problem that we see is a lot of a lot of athletes they don't know how to land and and, and hold themselves in that position They want to collapse down. You know, knees might want to fold in, which is honestly a little bit of a red flag sometimes. But a lot of guys want to land really, really low, like in a squat position. And they don't understand that you don't play sport down there. That's not why you're powerful. So the uh, image that we have to use, the cue, is imagine you're going up for a rebound in basketball. Where would you land and jump from? All right? You've got to jump twice, right? Ball got tipped back up in the air. You're coming back down. You got three buddies around here going up for the rebound. You've got to go up and get it. You wouldn't drop down into a squat. You wouldn't drop way down there, butt down low to the ground. You would land and immediately jump back up. And that's where we see a lot of the problems is that athletes will try to land and they'll just fold upon, you know, once, once they, they don't know how to withstand that force. So they fold down. It's like a dropping a sack of potatoes, right? They don't know how to withstand force and then go back up. So that's one of the big things we see. And the other thing we see is that, like, like I said earlier, Everything relates back, back to the hips. It's all related back to the hips somewhere. Everything we do has to be force transmission through the hips with the spine stable. A lot of kids will want to try to transfer through their knees. Their back will take a brunt, the brunt of the force because it'll kind of round over, and their knees are trying to do the work. We want our athletes to be more hip-dominant generally.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, so kids are going too deep because they can't withstand their own forces. I guess.
1: Yeah, they just they they've never been taught how to land correctly, right? They just don't know how to land correctly. So something that we teach from the very first day.
0: Okay, I gotcha. Um, so I want to talk briefly about speed training. Um, is that something that tends to? say so you got a kid that's you know not running as fast as he's capable of running. Is it just basically you fix his mobility and strength and the speed? is just sort of a byproduct of that? Or do you, how, how do you uh, like, what are the common speed yeah. problems that you see? Is it form? Sure.
1: Is it strength? I'm well, sure. all of it, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of everything, but what you have to know is that, I mean, there's actually theories out there on training young athletes, which is, it's, it's the theory is long-term athletic development, but there's theories that there's windows of opportunity for training different Uh, motor abilities. So speed, so strength, you know, endurance and flexibility, those four motor abilities. There's different windows in a young athlete's um, uh, uh, timeline that are optimal windows, they say, for training these. Um, One of those windows for for little, you know, male athletes for young boys is from seven to nine to train speed. That's a time when your nervous system is very plastic and it kind of, it just picks up everything. And so we actually want to train our young athletes with speed, with um, acceleration, with, with sprinting. We apply a lot of this stuff in game format. So it's not – I'm not taking seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-olds and, and training them in traditional, like, you know, how TCU baseball athletes train. That's not what we're doing. We put these guys in competitions. We have them chase each other. We have them race. Um, we do all kinds of different drills to make it game-like, to make it fun. But what they don't realize is that the back end is – they're doing speed training,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We do a lot of skipping, a lot of coordination stuff. Everything we do, we teach them to move and maneuver and drive their arms correctly. Even though they don't know they're doing it, we're applying these fundamentals underneath the surface. They think they're having fun, but really it's, it's training. So, yes, you need to train. Your, your kids need to run fast. The faster or the, the earlier they start running and sprint, um, short sprints and, and this and that, the, uh, the faster the potential later on is, is what they say. So the two windows for male athletes are generally seven to nine years old. Um, that's going to be more – I believe that's more um, quickness and acceleration-based. And then the second window I think is – I think it's 11 to 13 or 12 to 14, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, these are general guidelines. Um, and that is more – I believe that's more maximal speed. They actually say that your stride – rate, how fast you move your legs does not increase after the age of 12 to 14. It just doesn't It doesn't change. What changes in your athletes, how much force they put into the ground. More force into the ground creates a bigger stride, covers more distance, right? But your athletes after the age of 12 to 14, they really don't move their legs faster. So that's why that early time, quickness at seven to nine, you need to imprint that so that they're developing that nervous system really. So yeah, it's great to sprint your young athletes sprinting coordination training, you know, skipping, um, jumping, uh, all that stuff. We want to imprint that as early as possible with athletes. We're not talking about lifting. Um, mm-hmm. we do a lot of crawl variations and we do all kinds of stuff to teach them how to control their body. We don't need extra weight.
0: Right now. I love that. I love that. Yeah, everybody, you know, you start talking about a preteen doing, uh you know, strength and conditioning type stuff. And it's like, let let the kids be kids. You know what I mean? Like people just like being angry about stuff. And it's like, well, these kids do have goals. And if you can make it fun, which like you said, is kind of the key. We're not just grinding them out, you know, right. hundred yard sprints for, for half an hour. You know what I mean? Like if we can, you know, implement these things at an early age, Hey, they get 13, 14 and suddenly have some reachable dreams that they want to yeah. go after they're in a good spot for, it, you know? And
1: so. yeah. And, and you're making great points. Um, and what, it, what it's about is, is doing the training without them knowing it so that it's fun, it's competitive, it's, it's you know, working with a teammate. One of the great examples, you know, that we, that we can use, we do a lot of bear crawl series, right? Bear crawls are great for core strength, for just total body strength coordination. But we'll have guys uh, put a cone on their back, and they have to balance the cone throughout the bear crawl. Or we'll put a cone and a baseball on their back, and they have to balance that. Or we'll play a game where two guys are facing each other, Each one's got a cone on their back. You can't knock the cone off your, you can't let the cone on your own back fall, but you're trying to knock the cone off your, your buddy, his back. Right. And so it's, they don't realize that we are training you the same way with some of the same patterns that my, my pro guys use. They Mm. do bear crawls all the time. I don't put it into games, but these guys are doing the same stuff. We're training coordination. We're training movement. We're training body control, um, strength and all that stuff in, in games.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I like to think of that as like the um, kind of like the Trojan horse. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking you're getting one thing, but you're getting another, and that's sort of like the best way to 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 reach anybody new. It's like, oh, what do you yeah. like? Let's let's talk about that. But I mean, meanwhile, I'm gonna secretly, you know, help you out with something that uh, you're you're struggling with. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. Anyway, very cool. Well, um, what's some like common like bad advice that you commonly see, even from like, you know guys who are out there in the field right now, I mean, you know, some people aren't updating their, their, uh, you know, their intellect or whatever, you know, staying up to date with the current trends. I mean, what's some bad advice you commonly hear that kind of makes you cringe?
1: Um, I mean, there might be a couple things, a couple ways we could go with this. One of them, like you said earlier, is, is parents that don't think kids need to be doing activity. Like, we don't want to call it training. We want it to be more like PE and game-like, right? Mm-hmm. I think they need to be doing that movement training. So, you know, I hear that a lot where they're like, Oh, they're too young to lift. You know, we're not going li- to They're not going to lift till they're 14 or 15. They shouldn't lift until, you know, they get into high school. That's not necessarily true. Um, I have junior high kids. I've got sixth graders that once they're capable, we actually do have them handle a little bit of weight. We'll use some med balls in their training. We'll hold a 10 pound dumbbell for some of their stuff, teaching them how to squat and this and that. But that's after they've been with me a few years and actually progressed into those points. We're not loading them up with a ton of weight, but we are using a little bit of load to advance them, to advance their training a little bit, to get them in better positions, and and to start start developing that skill, so to speak. Um, You know, what we talked about, I will say this, what we talked about earlier before the show actually started was – jumping your kids right away back into baseball. That's one of the biggest things that, and this isn't necessarily bad advice. I just want to give parents advice with the COVID going on, the the situation, we have to be very cognizant of the, um, you know, the injuries that are going to happen to the UCL with fast, fast ramp ups. And, and maybe you wanted to talk about this a little later on down the road. I'm not sure, but we have to be careful when you, when you haven't been throwing with intent, and intensity, to jump back into games, you know, a week, two weeks in, um, not knowing if your kids have been throwing much is a dangerous situation. So I would just advise all parents to, to make sure you're kind of progressing their workloads um, appropriately. Know that your kid has been throwing with some intent the previous, you know, two, three, four weeks before they get on a mound. Otherwise, we're just asking for problems.
0: Yeah. I think that's super um, useful advice. You know, I'm in a couple of these online forums and stuff and people kind of post that that usually people who are salty, they, they took the loss on a weekend come in and they're like, Oh, this kid was throwing, you know, 102 pitches on, you know, on a Sunday, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, man, um, you know, you can't take these kids words for it. I know as a coach myself, like most of the time the kids say they're fine. You know what I mean? Like I don't, exactly they don't really tell me that they're, you know, and, and I don't think they're lying to me either. You know what I mean? Like they think that they're fine. Um, but you just kind of got to be mindful of like, gosh, I'd like to throw you one more time out there, but like, dude, we're going to go with somebody else for right now. You know what I mean? And that's, that's yeah. hard, hard to do, you know, all around. So,
1: so, uh, the biggest, the biggest predictor or biggest factor in youth UCL injuries is fatigue. The kids that are fatigued, you know, uh, if, if you see a kid, you know, kid goes out and pitches Thursday, saturday and then he tries to come back out sunday a kid that is fatigued is at a huge risk for injury that's really the easiest risk factor that you can that you can watch if you can manage fatigue and try to keep kids away from that if you see a kid that's visibly tired or, or shouldn't be pitching that's a huge red flag fatigue and building up workloads you know uh, uh, wisely so that we're increasing intensity um over the course of a couple weeks before they get on a mound. Those are the two big factors that will save your kids from having a UCL surgery. That's the last thing anybody wants.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. Well, we'll definitely need to do a part two where we talk more about uh, pitching mechanics and things, because that's some of the stuff I I was intrigued on on your Twitter account is like, you know, you don't seem to be the strength coach. It's just like, hey, um, we're, we're measuring broad jumps. We're getting all these things. I mean, we're doing all that, but at the same time, like the, you know, the understanding of how the body's supposed to move through a pitching motion or that type of thing. I was really intrigued by. So um we'll definitely have to, we'll tease the audience here. We'll do a part two <laughs> and, uh, and get into that a little bit more, but uh, yeah, anyway, absolutely. But yeah. But before we get going, um are there any favorite, like, you know, props that you use or, or, you know, tools that somebody at the audience, the audience might be like, Hey, you know what? I might go check that out.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be, to be honest, the biggest thing that you can do for your kids is, is either, teaching them how to move correctly, or finding somebody that can help in teaching them how to move correctly. One thing that I do utilize with, um, with a lot of our athletes, and I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for youth athletes, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12, um, I, it, it could be useful, but to be honest, you will get way more bang for your buck in just teaching the kids how to move.
0: Yeah. But
1: something we use a lot with our college athletes, um, in some of my camp formats in high school, with high school kids and whatnot is the core velocity belt. Lance Wheeler has a – it's called the core velocity belt. It actually teaches athletes how to rotate through their pelvis a little bit. There's a lot of stuff we can do with that. I, I post a ton on Instagram and Twitter about that, um, about some of the uses that we found with a belt. But baseball is rotational. Our athletes have to understand how to move through their hips, not only in that hinge we talked about, but in a rotational pattern, right? Pelvic rotation is – is the sport and so one of the things that the core velocity belt does is it helps to teach our athletes how to move their hips in a rotational in a rotational pattern i use it a ton with our pitchers we have different drills based on where there's breakdowns and mechanics like you talked about earlier so maybe another show
0: yeah yeah we'll definitely de- dig into that more and I've, i haven't talked to lance i need to get him on the show but i've seen that belt out there a little bit. And uh, it looks interesting. I don't, I've never used it or anything else, but um, I know a lot of smart people are, are vouching for it. So it sounds like there's something there. You know what I mean? So.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely has application. Like I said, with the young athletes bang for your buck, just teaching them how to move correctly is going to be way, way better. But as they develop, a lot of times that core velocity belt can help, you know, trick the mind into uh, doing things it didn't know.
0: I gotcha. Interesting. And so as far as um you know like maybe not you personally but I mean do do people offer movement screens for a kid if you're like man my kid I don't know what he's doing wrong like that's where 99% of everyone's going to be and uh you know is there movement screens Seems like it'd be really helpful to be like oh you know what it's not his hips he's actually got ankles that cannot move. You know what I mean? I don't know what you guys look for but right. you guys so, offer screenings or like is that something people So do? yeah, I
1: mean yeah, so so people in your audience, they can reach out to me um, and and ask those questions. It kind of depends on the time of year as, as to when we can actually work with kids and the age and, and whatnot. But at that age, with the younger the athlete, you don't need movement screens. They just need to learn how to move correctly. It's, it's all just it's all just imprinting uh, motor skill development on their body. That's really all it is um, because they haven't had enough overuse to, to be stuck in a really, really bad pattern. So if you teach your kids how to move correctly – It'll, it'll happen and, and they'll be able to do that further on down the road. But if you let it slip and they move really bad at, you know, as a sixth grader and then as an eighth grader, we haven't corrected anything and they still move really bad. And then by the time they're 16, you're saying, well, you know, my kid's velocity is not good. Um, we need help with this. It might be too late. A lot of those kids are stuck for that long in that pattern. There's a lot of times you can't correct that. And so that's just in a way what you get. There's small corrections we can make, but if you let those kids move really, really poorly and and never learn how to how to utilize their body correctly, the further it goes, the less chance you have of bringing it back. So, um, yeah, get kids moving um, early on.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, it sounds like people need to check out the book. So, um, where can they find it? MovementOverMaxes.com. is that the best place to check out?
1: Yeah, MovementOverMaxes.com um is is the website. You can you know find more information if you want at. at uh, That's my own website. And then I post stuff on Instagram. I actually post a ton of our kid training. If you scroll back through them, um, we haven't got to in a while, but if you scroll back through them, you'll find a lot of our circuits, a lot of our games that we do with, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids on my Instagram. And that's, uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at Zach Dakin.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that's D E C H A N T for those listening yes. at home. So, yes. Um, awesome. Well, good. We'll be sure to check them out and guys, uh, if you guys have any questions for Zach, reach out to him or reach out through me and I can uh, kind of relay it there. But, uh, anyway, yeah, we appreciate you being on and yeah, movement over maxes. Go check that out guys.